Listener beware. The following is a cautionary tale of two friends embarking on a journey of magic and monsters, haunted houses, weeping cryptids, fairy food trucks, and other absurdities. This is folklore. morning. So um, I am calling to relate certain events that have transpired, and I need you not to freak out when I tell you about them. Let me preface this by saying that the Boundaries conversation with Linnea went, um, well. Mm -hmm. I just had to go about it in what you will probably see as a slightly controversial way. Actually, you were the one who gave me the idea with the whole talking stick thing. You know, I was wondering if there was a way to get her to be a more active participant in the conversation rather than just her randomly knocking shit over, which does tend to leave her feelings up to interpretation. Um, the only problem is that since Linnea can't technically speak, the easiest talking stick to use was a pencil and to sort of let her, you know, possess me again. I can hear your left eyebrow raising, so just put her back down a sec. What I did was, first I sat in the kitchen, and I set some of my circling context in writing, you know, we will be in this conversation for this long with this specific intention, and requested her consent to enter into a dialogue and for me to get more of her world. And then I took my notebook back into the sitting room where she possessed me the first time and let her respond. I won't read the whole dialogue out loud to you because it was many, many pages long, but to summarize, she told me that she was amenable to the conversation, so I went back to the kitchen, since, you know, the kitchen is more my domain and the sitting room is hers, and invited her to tell me what her needs were. So it turns out that her lack of safety isn't really about me, you know, she just feels scared and unsafe in general. and. She was trying to warn me that she feels this house isn't safe for anyone. I asked her what it might take for her to feel safer, and if there was anything I could do to help, and that seemed to stump her for a bit. Which I get, you know, how do you conjure up a sense of trust or safety if you haven't had it in a century or more? So I asked her what used to make her feel safe and, you know, truly at ease when she was alive, and she told me about her sea cave. You remember the door I found in the bluff? She said that she found it as a little girl and knew as soon as she stepped inside that it was hers. The way she described it made me think of fairy tales where a child enters into some sort of an enchanted house and just immediately feels at home. Apparently she spent most of her days when she was alive just walking along the beach and the shoreline and then crafting those amazing baskets and special trinkets from the things she found. She liked to forage for things that were strange or beautiful or useful, kind of like what you're doing. So anyway, it was her favorite place until that loser husband of hers washed ashore and she brought him back to her cave to heal him. I guess that sort of violated the sanctity of the space and she just felt unsafe there ever since. I mean, I think her entire life felt unsafe as soon as he entered into it. So I propose that we go there together to try to reclaim it for her 
I even suggested that we do some parts work together. You remember those internal family systems books that I got all obsessed with last year? I was thinking that since her husband is long gone, I could try to put her back in touch with the little girl she once was who felt safe and creative and full of purpose. She expressed a lot of longing when I suggested that, but she said that she was bound to the house and couldn't travel beyond its walls. And Nikki, I think that's what made me really see her for the first time. Like, can you imagine how painful it would be to be living out your eternity trapped in the house where your husband basically kept you captive, while you're staring out at this world that you loved so much but that you can't feel or touch? And for a second, she actually took shape in my field of view before she just faded into the air again. And my heart was just kind of aching with grief for her. And I could tell that she felt it because the ink on the page started bleeding as if there were drops of tears falling into it, but the tears weren't mine. <sighs> so I asked Linnea if she might want to go back to the cavern if she could. And she said that she would want that more than anything, but then she began to tell me something that was a little hard for me to understand. It sounded almost like a ritual or like a spell that she did that went awry, but as I was asking her to explain more, we were interrupted by this really loud bang. I looked up just as a massive crow flew into the window and, you know, me being the bleeding heart animal lover that I am, I ran outside to see if it was alright. I couldn't find it, so I'm hoping it just flew off again, but Linnea seemed sort of resistant to talking about the spell after that. I, my sense is that she feels embarrassed or ashamed or something, but anyway, I gave her a lot of appreciation and acknowledgement and committed myself to helping us find ways of making her feel safe. And yes, Nikki, I asked her not to possess me again without my permission, and she agreed. Not only did she agree, but she told me that she didn't like doing it because my bad knee was super unpleasant to possess and asked me how I could walk around on it all the time, which was actually really validating and a little relieving. Like, yeah, being in this body isn't the greatest most of the time, you know? I feel like if everyone who had chronic pain or injuries could be possessed by a ghost, they'd feel a lot more seen, is all I'm saying. So, anyway, things are going much better now. Like. Last night, I brought out my old projector and set it up in the living room so we could just have a movie night. You're gonna roll your eyes, but we watched Blythe Spirits, which she loved. Every time something was funny, the rocking chair would start bobbing back and forth so I could tell she was laughing, and every time something was sad, the light would get dim, and a couple of times when something frustrating happened, a few, you know, random pieces of popcorn threw themselves at the projector screen. It was just pretty darn adorable. And then we watched Ghost. And this is hilarious, but whenever Patrick Swayze appeared on screen, the heat from the fire would suddenly make the room very warm, and I was like, alrighty, I guess we know that you have a type. And a couple of times when Whoopi Goldberg showed up, a few pieces of popcorn would fly at my head randomly, and I was like, yes, I know the role that I have in this particular story, Linnea, thank you very much. <laughs> I don't know, it just, it sort of feels like we're amiable roommates now. You know, when I went down to the kitchen this morning, Linnea had left out a hazelnut and marionberry muffin recipe, which I made for breakfast and they were to die for, let me tell you. I, I mean, not literally. Um, anyway, I'll ask Linnea if I can send you the recipe because it sort of feels like the thing that might be up Bartleby's alley. So that's my update. Can't wait to hear about your latest travels. Tell me about all the weird stuff you've been feeding people this week. Okay, bye.
Okay, so this was you walking back and forth from room to room journaling. Did you use a different pen color when it was you? What was her color? Blood red? I'm just trying to get the visual. And like, she can watch movies and get all blushy from Patrick Swayze, but she can't figure out how to communicate except by violating your space in the most extreme way possible? I mean, yay for her that she's promised not to possess you anymore. All the cookies for Linnea. In her parts work, will she get in touch with the version of herself that casts spells she's too ashamed to talk about? Like, what'd she do, bury a heart under the living room floor? Or watch where you step. All right, Squonk is giving me the side eye, and yeah, fine. That was a little unfair. I didn't mean it, I just... (laughs) Watching movies together is our thing, and we hardly ever get to do it in person. I mean, you watched Blind Spirits without me? With someone else? I'm supposed to be the friend in the rocking chair throwing popcorn. That's my move, and you always get mad at me when I do it, and you make me sweep it up. I bet you didn't make Linnea sweep it up. Fine. She's non-corporeal, so dust rooms are probably a challenge, but imagine if I'd watched Ladyhawk without you. And if you go showing fur-clad Rutger Hauer to Linnea, so help me. You know what? Okay. It is possible that I am using anger as a deflection tactic. I'm not really mad. I just, I feel bad. You've asked me to come and I'm not there. And not only am I not there, I'm off on my own bizarre adventure that's weird and goofy and pretty low stakes. You know, what are sentient food trucks to domestic violence ghosts? I want to be there for you and I am trying, but I feel like I just can't. Not yet. There's some purpose to all of this nonsense. I know that there is. I am not abandoning you. I promise. Please don't give up on me. Don't, you know, replace me. Oh, Nikki. So first of all, I miss you too. And second of all, you know that you are first and foremost in my heart always. I humbly beg your pardon for watching Blythe Spirits without you and fully intend to make it up to you when you get here with multiple viewings of North and South. We can rewind Thornton saying look back at me as many times as you need or until the DVD expires from exhaustion, whichever comes first. And listen, you know I'm not one of these everything happens for a reason douchebags, but I absolutely believe that there is some weird shit transpiring between us and we need to see how all of this plays out. I know that your weird road trip doesn't mean that you love me any less, and I hope you know that my friendship with Linnea doesn't diminish the fact that you are basically my sister. Wouldn't you rather that I be on good terms with the ghosts that I live with? Like, the coat rack hasn't fallen on my head once in the past 24 hours, which is a significant improvement. So just take your time. Your turret is waiting for you, and I can't wait until you and me and Linnea and Squonk are all making dinner together and living together in domestic bliss. You and Linnea can exchange foraging notes, and Squonk and I can cry over spilled milk together. It'll be great. Just you wait. In the meantime, I am texting you the muffin recipe. I love you. Do you promise about the North and South thing? Maybe we could get a little Mr. Darcy hand flex action in there, too. Because, I'm not going to lie, I am still feeling just the teensiest bit fragile. 
Your vision of domestic bliss with Linnea and Squonk does indeed sound very blissful, but in my head I'm likely to throw Linnea's muffins at her. I mean, she did possess my best friend. Though actually, upon reflection, I may not be in a position to cast any stones or muffins. Because <laughs> it's, uh, it's possible I've accidentally been casting spells on people. Like, with my food. You remember the guy? Rip t-shirt guy? So, turns out he's not a food critic who's obsessed with Bartleby. He's a folklorist. And like, a legit one who studies stuff, doesn't just compile other people's studies like me. Not that I have any validation issues right now or anything. Anyway, according to him, I've been practicing some pretty wild magic. Here's what happened. So, you know how I collected all those herbs in the woods, right? And they were like really specific and included plants I didn't even know were edible, but they ended up making this pretty tasty soup. Since that worked so well, I figured I'd use them to flavor some other stuff. Bartleby was avoiding Lexington, so we were stopped at the Daniel Boone National Forest, which, <laughs> wow, is the most murka name I've ever heard. Squonk and I went exploring, and we came upon a beehive, and Squonk, like, cried at it for a while until the bees left, like you do. So I scooped out some honey, and I made some mead. I know mead's supposed to take a while to ferment, but rules of nature and science don't apply to Bartleby. I flavored the mead with the herbs, and I figured I'd serve it at our next stop. And that's what I did. Bartleby took us into Nashville, which, yes, is slightly in the wrong direction, but at least he's going generally west, and we parked outside the Country Music Hall of Fame, which probably we weren't supposed to do, but again, rules don't apply to Bartleby. And I popped up the awning and started ladling out mead by the gallon. At first, I didn't notice what was going on. Not really. I mean, this is country music land, so I guess I figured everybody was just naturally rhythmic in their speech. You don't really notice iambic pentameter, you know, if you're not looking for it. And then when the rhyming couplet started, I guess I figured folks were just being kind of weird and a little drunk. But then this one Stetson-wearing dude climbed up on the roof of the rotunda and hung onto the spire and began proclaiming and heavy alliteration and... Hang on, I wrote some of it down. The barbecue was bones, bountiful with sauce, buttered biscuits, beans, baked with brisket. Give me Jack's barbecue or peg leg porker, but my heart lighted with hot chicken love. Yeah, it was wild. <laughs> I just kind of stood there gaping at him and like, how the hell did he get up there? When suddenly somebody shook me by the shoulders, shouting at me. It took me a minute to process. I mean, he was inside Bartleby and that is not okay. And then obviously get your hands off of me, you creep. He backed off immediately. Apparently he'd been trying to get my attention for a while, but I was just too riveted by the poetry spouting hillbilly. But he kept shouting at me using words like Edaic poetry and Odin. And it took me a very long time to figure out what he was on about. It was a t-shirt guy, I guess I didn't say. He was fully dressed this time. His name is Neil, and according to him, I'd brewed up some mead of poetry from Norse mythology because the herbs I'd collected were Odin's nine herbs of wisdom, and if I'm not careful, I'll end up wreaking way more havoc than a town full of dubious poets. He has, in fact, been following me around. Apparently, he suspected something back in Parkersburg, but, well, <laughs> a barbecue poem does seem to confirm things. Once I got him to calm down and quit shouting at me, I closed up Bartleby and I sat him down in Squonk's seat, which meant Squonk was on my lap, which was great for them and a little soggy for me. And basically he interrogated me for a while about what I was doing, how I was doing it, and what my intentions were. Me saying, I'm just cooking some stuff and driving to my friend's house, 
was apparently not an acceptable answer. Obviously, I know I'm not just cooking some stuff, and clearly Bartleby is a cult in some way, but Neil pointed at Squonk and said all derisively, when even is that? And therefore, I will be as obstructionist and annoying as possible. (laughs) Neil tugs at his hair when he's irritated, and he looks ridiculous, and it's very satisfying. Anyway, even if I am brewing potions or whatever, I fail to see the harm. I offer people sustenance and bring food-related Nordic sagas to their hearts. I told Neil to find something a little more sinister to Doomsday about. Squonk wept piteously as he left, but that's a little hard to interpret, as Squonk's crying can be either joyous or tragic without much discernible difference to the observer. Tomorrow I will urge Bartleby to swing a little bit more northward. I hope to be calling you from Omaha next. Perceptions give me panic attacks So when I am out, I'm not behind trees I'll hide in the forest where I can be free Maybe to you it sounds a little strange But maybe I can be a supermodel skinny kind of pretty girl Maybe I wanna be a cryptid Maybe I don't wanna exist in this world Everyone's comments turn into scars And everyone lies and says Be who you are What if I wanna be a cryptid Maybe my ideal body is Bigfoot Spokelore is written, produced, and performed By Annie Wilde and Nikki Vandikar Our closing credit song is Cryptid Mothman by Ratwife Further misadventures can be found on Patreon.com slash Spokelore And on Instagram at Spokelore Podcast Any resemblance to persons or cryptids, living or dead, is entirely coincidental. Usually I've been put in the crying cryptid, wishing I could melt into swamps. Beady red eyes can't see beauty standards, and stealing someone's skin would hide all my flaws. Maybe I can't be a supermodel skinny kind of pretty girl. Mm-hmm.